Thanks, Poida. Awesome. Round three. It's great. It's really fun going through each service because you are, yeah, you see the different demographic. The first service, I just felt so overwhelmed with the wisdom of God. I'm like, what have I got to even say to these people? Because often the, the, uh, the first service attracts an older generation. And I just think, man, the wisdom of God in the room. And then the middle, gen- the middle service is just full of young families and kids and all that. And here's all the people that can't get up on time. That's what's going on here. Is that what's happening? What I'm feeling? Awesome. Well, welcome. If you're joining us today for the first time, it's good you're here. Thanks for coming and joining in with the people of God. And if you're watching online, I joked earlier, but put on some pants. It's a good thing we can't see you up there. Awesome. Hopefully you enjoy if you're watching online and being facetious. Uh, hopefully you uh, yeah get some encouragement out of what God is saying through me today and through us as the church, and we'll have a bit of fun. Um, Pastor Greg is having a little bit of a break today. He's, uh, he's away with his wife. I think they're at Sylvan Lake or something, doing a bit of fishing, relaxing. Uh, he, he's just taking a well-deserved little break, and uh, Pastor Tyler is also away, so I get the call up. They go through the list, and then they find me at the bottom, and they're like, all right, we better bring this guy in because everyone else is enjoying life. Just kidding. Uh, Pastor Greg uh, is having a good break, and I'm thankful that I could just come and, and fill in for today. So thanks for having me and for listening. If you get nothing, uh, out of today, at least you got to sit in a comfy chair with a room full of cool people. Um, and then it's all uphill from there. So hopefully you're encouraged today. Uh, Pastor Greg's been preaching in a certain sort of direction the last couple of weeks. If you've been following along, you would have seen some of the messages and some of what he's been preaching. I think Pastor Greg, the expectation is he'll be kind of moving in that direction still uh, coming after that. So I kind of find my place in the middle of that. And yeah, I was invited to kind of share a bit about uh, community, which is such an interesting word. And we're not going to focus on that word. But just like overcoming together as, as the people of God is kind of the theme. And so with that theme in mind, I went to task this week, just, uh, yeah, just praying and thinking about what would be useful for us to journey today. Uh, as, as I'm not your shepherd in terms of I'm not the one that's in the, you know, the mud and mire of your daily life as the, as the pastor of this church, um, I get to come from a different perspective because I'm not in that place. But I hope that Whatever I share today will still encourage us as a unique people here, as a unique expression of the church in Morinville. Um, and so we'll do a bit of a broad overview. We'll look at a few things and then hopefully land on, yeah, just what it means to be us. And we'll take communion in light of those thoughts. So this is the journey we're going to take today. Uh, one of my favorite verses, if you've ever been around me and you've heard me preach before, you've probably heard me use this verse before. It's from 2 Corinthians 5.17. And this is what it says. If you know it, you can read it. You can yell it, whatever you want. It says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, of course, in context, there's lots of other things going on, but there's just something so powerful about this little scripture. To me, it's like a little seed of the gospel. There's the good news is contained in this when we understand some of the thoughts. I think it's a really cool thing to realize for those of us into which Jesus is Lord of our life, to recognize the powerful reality of Christ's reconciling work on the cross. Where we were once lost, we were once disconnected, we were once living in chaos, Jesus himself has reconciled a lost world unto himself. And in light of this, 
We are new creations. And I want to talk a bit about that right now. What does it mean to be a new creation? Because when you look at me, when I got saved at 20 years old, I didn't change in terms of my physical reality. Of course, a few years later, a little chubbier, a little little older, a little grayer, a little less hair. Absolutely, there has been a change. The point of this is that as a new creation, when I was reconciled to God, when I was living in chaos and I was brought into the harmony with God, my physical reality didn't change. Something happened. I think creation is as much about bringing order from chaos than it is just about producing or manufacturing uh, products or goods and materials. There is something else in this idea of creation that sometimes I think I miss because I have ideas of what creation means. We're not going to look at Genesis 1 fully, and I'm still learning my way through things, but this is just kind of where I'm at right now. The account of Genesis 1 is a fascinating account because as a modernistic, rationalistic thinker, I will often come to the Bible with a set of questions that I want it to answer to make sense of my world. And that's called eisegesis when you read into the text. But I have a unique set of questions because of the way I've been formed in my culture that I want the Bible to answer. And in doing that, I think I can sometimes miss some of what is there. Think about Genesis 1. It's an ancient text for an ancient people that had ancient questions. And I think when it comes to creation, there are some really wonderful things that we can miss. Well, certainly I have. Maybe you're a bit more astute than me and a bit more aware. But often we think about material origins and we miss what is also happening in the text. And even my view will be so limited. But maybe I can just bring a little bit of insight into that. Now, while we can't unpack all the theological ramifications of Genesis 1, it's amazing to see how in this creation account, we see a God who was hovering over the darkness, hovering over the waters. And he begins a process of organizing what was chaotic, what was in chaos, into not only function, but into order. We see this God who is over this this environment that was chaotic, that was dark, that had no order. And into this, we see this process of God separating organizing, placing, giving function and meaning to, and it's into this environment that humankind is brought alive. Humankind is brought alive into this created environment that God has organized out of chaos into order, harmony, and the result of that is beauty and abundance. Beauty, abundance, flourishing. And then what God does is he creates humankind in his image. Now, in an individualistic society, I'll often think that the image of God is me. But we see that man and woman are created as the image, as this reflection of this harmony of God's community, of the Trinity. Man and woman are created in the image of God. And the image of God is this reflection of who God is to the world. So we see chaos into order. We then see humankind raised up and placed in this system. And the difference is what makes man and woman alive is the breath of God. The breath, the spirit of God is given to humans. And they come alive. They're awoken to their purpose. This humankind being made in the image of God is called into this beautiful vocation to be human, 
to live as humans who are made alive by the Spirit of God into this beautiful created system into which God now comes and takes up his residence. When we think about this ordering and separating and this task that God's about, we come to day seven where he talks about rest. And I don't know about you, but when I think about day seven, I think about God resting, I think what on earth is an all-powerful, all-knowing God who is loosed from all limitations, is beyond my mind and my limitations because I'm a limited being. He's not. What does that God need to do with rest? Like, does he just kick up his feet and like make a latte and sit back and think I'm God and I'm just having a rest? It's such an interesting notion. Now, of course, for the Jewish culture and for us even today, we pattern ourselves after work and have a day of rest. I think it's a good thing. But again, when we come to the ancient text, there's some, maybe some other stuff going on. And one of the perspectives I've learned is it's possible that God, who doesn't need a dwelling place, who is loosed from all limitation and is beyond time and space, saw a good and fit to bring order from the chaos to create an environment into which humans would be his reflection, to be fully human with his spirit, but also for God to take up his residence in this environment. Day seven rest, I think, is more than just God kicking up his feet and relaxing. I think it's the moment into which God has set right what was in chaos, brought life, and then he comes and takes up his residence to rule, to rule and oversee his creation. And this is this idea of shalom, it is a beautiful word that everything is in its right place, that God has taken up his residence, everything is functioning the way it should, and humans are alive by the Spirit of God. It's kind of like, I heard an analogy of like, it's kind of like the president is like sworn into office, goes into the White House to take up residence so that the president can now rule. It's not that they go in there to kick up their feet, while some of them probably do, um, it's not just about going and resting. It's so that they can then enter in to rule and, and begin the work. And this day seven idea is more, I think, than God just resting. It's that he's come, taken up residence. He begins to rule. He is the king of the world. And now humankind takes up its role as God's people to be a mirror of who God is to all of creation, to all peoples, to walk with God, the creator, in all their desires, all their needs. Everything was met when things were in harmony. The longings of the heart, every aspect of human beings were, were, were fulfilled in this perfect harmony with God taking up residence. The heavenly reality of God's kingdom within the created order of earth, shalom. Now, of course, we know that sin is the disruption of this order. Sin is the disunity of what has been order, and it produces chaos because it disrupts what was flourishing. Instead of order and beauty and abundance, we have chaos, we have death, we have violence, we have all kinds of things that are a result of what sin is. I think you understand sin, even if you're not a follower of Christ, because I think you know what it's like when your life is in chaos. What's it like when you are, you know, you're out and about during the week, and you've missed those phone calls and all the, the return phone calls have stacked up and you've neglected them and then 
your email box is full and you're like, oh my gosh, and you, you took time off when you shouldn't have taken time off and then you come home and, and the house is messy, there's dog hair everywhere and the, the kitchen sink is full of all kinds of dishes and, and it's dirty and then you come on in and that broken door that you haven't fixed, it's still broken and flopping and so you walk down the hallway and you're like, oh kids, why don't you pick up your underwear? Why don't you pick up your socks? There's, there's towels on the floor and then you go into your room and the sheets haven't been washed and the shower's full of scum and mold. How do you feel? Yeah, a little bit like that, I reckon. I think it's just an understanding that like when our environment is disordered, when we live in chaos, I think we get a sense of what sin does. I'm not saying that's sin. I'm giving an example of what it is like for us when we are lost. We live in chaos. That's what sin has done. Sin has disor- like created disorder, disunity. It's not in harmony. And the result of that is this multiplication of chaos where death reigns. Chaos reigns. This is what makes the cross so powerful. The disruptive power and reality of sin and death, which has enslaved people, was broken through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that marked the inauguration of the new kingdom, one in which God has set right what was disordered, and he enters into his reign as the king. He takes up his residence. Heaven and earth intersect through the death of Jesus, and God is the king of a kingdom. Something has happened. Something has been inaugurated. The kingdom of God has been ushered in, and God is making things right. When I think about God's judgment, I often think about his punishment. It's really easy to think that judgment equates to punishment. Right now, I believe that God's judgment is actually about judging that which is out of order and seeking to set it into order. God's judgment is about making right what was not right. So when God looks at our life with judgment, it's about organizing what was not right and bringing it into harmony, rightness, righteousness. What is not right, sin is dealt with, and what was disordered now gets ordered because of the righteousness of Christ. So we come back to our text. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are what? A reordering. We are new creations. To be a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. And I love that Paul, when he writes to the church in Corinth, which was having all kinds of chaotic church experiences, says... For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in the congregation of God's people. Christ's resurrection ushered in a new reality. Jesus has restored, is restoring, and will restore that what is broken. What is in chaos? What is disordered? You and me. Reconciling back to himself out of his own mercy, making things right. And I think where humans lost their primary vocation and were separated from their mission and their purpose, Jesus restores and invites us back into our role as humans. I think Jesus' resurrection gives us some idea around that. After Jesus had died and was resurrected, the rest of his followers were freaked out. You know this. They were hiding in an upper room. They had fear. They were worried because they, these followers of Christ were really scared that they were going to die next. Jesus appears and he says to them, peace be with you. He shows them his hands and side and the disciples were overjoyed. 
And he said, peace be with you. The Father has sent me. I'm sending you. And with that, he breathes on them. I know I've talked about this before, but Jesus has been dead for a few days. He shows up and then goes. (sighs) Now, I've been preaching for three sermons. You do not want me coming and doing that to you. But here's Jesus. He does something. Why would he do that? Such an interesting thing. And I'm sure there's lots of different ideas around this. Where I'm living right now is the fact that Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. He promises them the Holy Spirit. There's this new reality taking place because Jesus has overcome sin and death. The thing that brings disorder and chaos and disunity, Jesus has defeated on the cross. He is now taking up his reign and his dwelling place and he breathes on his followers. Why would he do that? Job 32 says it's the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty, that gives them understanding. We're opened, we're awakened. From the darkness, we are given new eyes to see by the breath of God that has conquered the grave. Genesis 2.7 reminds us that it was the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. We're alive fully, fully alive when we are breathed on by God. When we have the Spirit of God, we are awoken to what it means to be humans, not just exist. Not just traverse this earth with all the longings and desires of our hearts, being distracted by this, that, and the other. We are awoken when we receive the Spirit of God, we are made fully alive. And that was the way it was always intended to be. So no wonder Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Spirit, because he has just defeated the very thing that has kept us enslaved, and he rehumanizes us. He breathes on us the Spirit of God to awaken us to what it means to be fully alive as people. I think this is what, maybe what Jesus might have been saying to Nicodemus a little bit. You remember the story earlier on? A really smart Jewish guy shows up to Jesus and says, listen, all that you're doing is pretty amazing and only can be done by the power of God. And Jesus says, pretty much, yeah, no worries. And Nicodemus is like, listen, how can you do this unless God is with you? And Jesus says, listen, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, you are nuts, man. You literally can't be born again. What do you do? Go back up into the womb and get born out again? That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That would be my response anyway if I didn't know. Here's a smart Jewish lawyer looking at this guy doing this amazing stuff and saying, how how is this possible? And he's like, listen, you've got to be born again. Like, what? I can't do that. That's sick. And this is what Jesus says. Don't marvel that I say be born again. Jesus says, unless you are born of water and spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born is flesh, of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Here's this idea that like to be alive, to be born again, to be rehumanized, to be awoken to who we are meant to be as God's people comes by the very reality of God's breath. That God actually breathes on us and makes us alive in the garden so we awaken to purpose, that we have residence with God where things are put in order and we're given a task. Now Jesus has defeated the thing that limits that. He breathes on us and he says, this is what it means to be born again. Being born again isn't this weird experiential thing. It's that we are given the spirit of God to be awoken so that we can see the kingdom. I think the only way we can see the kingdom is when we have the spirit of God. 
We can sit on the outside and say, God's okay. God does good things. The church does wonderful things. Christianity is a great idea. But you will always remain blind to the fullness of who God is unless you have the Spirit of God. Because it's the Spirit in man and woman that makes us alive. And God gives the Spirit. God gives us. And it's not just this personal thing. It is the Spirit of God to awaken us to be human again. To rediscover our vocation again. To be the image bearers as a community again. To reflect who God is to the world who is still needing to be reconciled to this truth. We have given a mission. Colossians 1 says he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Think about what happened in Genesis 1. God hovering over the darkness. God hovering over what was dark, what was disordered, what was in chaos. Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness where we were living our life, ordering our life around our own truth and what we want. God has brought us out of where we were blind and without the spirit of God, just living as dead people and awokened us to what it means to be human in the kingdom of the son that he loves, his light. Light illuminates darkness. You can observe the kingdom from a distance like Nicodemus and say the kingdom does good things. And until you receive the spirit of life, you'll always remain blind. What I love is that Jesus breathes on them and then he sends them away. He goes, as I was sent, I'm sending you. When you think of the church, I don't know what comes to mind for you. But I think there's this beautiful idea that the church are the people of God who are made new by the power of Jesus' resurrection, who are sent out as God's ambassadors of a new way to do life, to bring beauty and abundance to the world. Remember the second part of our verse, Paul says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, the Ecclesia are the people of God who have been placed into a new story to live by, with a new vocation as the image bearers of God to bear witness to the world, to partner with Christ in the work of reconciliation. And we do this by the way we live as a community. We have a different story to live by. I think there's a new way in which we are to order our life based on this new reality. We choose to live our lives by a different story rather than the prevailing secular stories around us, the story of the kingdom. I think that's why the Bible says don't be, tra- don't be transformed by the patterns of this world. Don't be formed by the patterns of this world that are trying to attract us with all their liturgies of trying to tell us what the good life is. We have been awoken to a new reality that is the kingdom of God. And it is a beautiful new reality. And the Bible is reminding us that don't be formed in those ways anymore. Be transformed as new creations in your new vocation to be the image bearers of God to the world. We pattern ourselves after a new life in Christ. But here's where I'll push against our individualistic tendencies. Because often we think it's about us and ourselves in that. But I think that there is something powerful about the our story. Because when God saved me, it was a powerful powerful moment when God rescued me out of darkness and gave me new eyes to see and a new way in which to form my life in. But there is something about that being part of an our story that is also very important, that we are part of a body that crosses oceans crosses cultures, 
and crosses borders, we are part of this unique, incredible body in which we are being formed in. And that's why our life together matters. And hear this. Ephesians 3 reminds us that God's intent was that through the church, through the people of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers. I got something shocking to tell you. You are the wisdom of God. Yeah, you. I know, it's hilarious. Dan, you and me, bro. We're the wisdom of God. Not all the time. But here's Paul reminding us that the us story matters. It matters who we are. It matters how we're being shaped and formed. It matters what story we live. It actually matters. And this is what Paul's reminding us, that there's no plan B for reconciliation. The plan's in motion. God has inaugurated a kingdom. He is the Lord. He has taken up his dominion. You now need to decide whether you're going to be formed in that reality, receive the Spirit and be awoken to purpose and life, or remain in darkness. Our life matters. Our life together as a called and sent people tells a different kind of story than the world's. And this life reveals the the wisdom of God. And here's the thing. I think how this works, I'm trying to learn a bit more about this, but God's wisdom isn't one-dimensional. My view of reality is really limited. And I want to tell you something, so is yours. I've been formed in a culture. I've been formed in a location. I've made sense of experiences in life based on how I was raised. And I have a perspective about things. Now, God is illuminating that and giving me new eyes to see. But you too have that reality. So my view is limited. My daughter, Annalise, is she here? No. A couple of uh, years ago, we were driving back from the community of Dap really late at night. She was sitting in the back seat. And uh, I was driving along. It was really late. We had to get home. She was maybe three years old. She was a bit cranky. It was the witching hour. You guys know that hour with kids? It's like that one hour or maybe half an hour just before all things are going to hit the fan. And they're like hyper, woo! Well, there was that moment, and then I could see she was starting to decline. So we gave her a pen and paper and whatever, and she was drawing a drawing. And I'm driving along the highway, and uh, we might have been near Westlock. And then I was doing 100, and every time we hit a little bump, a little pen would do this on the page. Hey, Dad, pull over. Dad, stop. You're making my drawing wrecked. She would be so mad and upset that I was driving on the road, and here she was in her little world, frustrated because she couldn't draw her picture. And now as a dad, I knew we had to get home, showered, bathed, washed up, get into bed. I really had her best interest in mind. She didn't know that. She didn't care. She wanted to draw a drawing. Now, it would have been totally irrational for me to pull over onto the shoulder of the highway with all the semis gone by and wait for her to do her drawing until she was content. Now, a good dad might have done that. I wasn't. I knew we needed to get home because she needed to get to bed. And when we did get home, I think she was very grateful that she could put her little jimmies on and hop into bed and tip top, right? But there was a real moment there. Where I just thought, I, I use that as kind of like a spiritual principle where it was kind of like, you know, I'm sometimes the child. You know, my, my perceptions are limited. I don't always see the big picture. Do you? I think if we're honest, we can own that we are limited in our perception. I think we like to think we know everything, but we don't. And I come back to the church. This is why the us story is important. Because God, Paul's saying that God's wisdom is made known through the body, through a people. And that people is more than one dimension. This is where we have to start, I think, as the church, broadening our understanding of what it means to be God's people. 
Because it's into this that we get a richer idea of who God is as we understand this idea. I think it means that not one of us can do the task. We actually need each other to tell the fuller story of God's people. I think in my evangelism, you know, it's, it's so reductionistic sometimes in our evangelism to think that the task of our evangelism is simply saving souls from hell. There, there is more to the gospel story than just that piece. And I think our evangelism, I'm learning to be motivated by this idea that as I have been awoken to my human vocation with God, by the Spirit of God, I'm alive, I'm out of darkness, I have this incredible ministry of reconciliation, I am actually beginning to be so much more interested in the person in front of me and what contribution they might bring when they're awoken by the Spirit of God to the broader body. What it might look like if that person was awoken by the Spirit of God to bring who they are to this body that is multidimensional. Manifold wisdom of God is made known to the world in this body. And we recognize that the church is a body of different people. We're only just getting a taste of that. And I keep saying, I'm so glad for William that he could be up here. We need more William, more Philippines. That he can come and, 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 and as a lay, read the text and, and share in worship with us. And a couple of weeks ago, little Liliana up here playing the children as part of the expression of the body, like seeing that we're not just one dimensional. And one of the challenges with the West is that we think agreement means you and I agreeing politically, agreeing on, on all kinds of things that we think are important. It's right that we are okay to disagree sometimes because agreement in the Bible is different than agreement that what we've made it. And we've talked about this before. Ephesians 5 says that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We can do this life together. We can express the wisdom of God because we begin to recognize that as people in the kingdom who have been awoken to purpose, we are so in, in love with Jesus because of the work that God has done that we have a reverence for God, then I can actually submit to one another. Now, submission is a dangerous word because we use it as power language. It's not healthy. Submission is more about mutually serving one another. This interdependent idea that I'm actually so keen for you to be who God's called you to be. As you've been awoken by the Spirit of God, called into a task to do the work that God's called you to do, I want to serve you in that and support you in that because I love Jesus, because I'm not egocentric and I'm not worried about how that's going to affect my ego. I'm not offended by you succeeding for God. It's good. It's good that you prosper in the ministry God's called you to do. Submit to one another because you love Jesus. And that's made possible because we understand that agreement is not us agreeing on everything. And I used this example before a little while ago, but I can't find a better example to describe that. The word agreement, symphonio, is where we get our word symphony from. You've heard me talk about this before. But it's the best picture of what agreement is. Agreement means harmony, unison. It means distinct sounds that are unique being brought together out of reverence for Christ. 
If Jesus is the conductor of a symphony, that he's inviting us to tell a new song, sing a new song to the world, tell a new story to the world, one in which the kingdom has come and you can find your place and God has taken up his dwelling place. We're no longer in darkness. We are new creations. Chaos has been ordered. We've been given this ministry to go and bring order to the chaos. We sing a different song and Jesus is the conductor we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, we can authentically be who we are called to be in the context of this body into which you get to be who you are. It's beautiful. It's like, I'm a didgeridoo. And you're, you're a triangle. Dan? <laughs> you're a Tiffany drum. And we have the treble recorder. And we've got, you know, the Chapman stick. Yeah, it's unique. Exactly. You probably don't even know what that is. A symphony is this beautiful picture of the harmony of sounds because of reverence for Christ. And I look forward to the day that we get a few more Chapman sticks in the church. You know what I mean? A few more didgeridoos, a few more unique sounds that are playing the song of the kingdom of God about the new creation story. Agreement is not the instrument. The agreement is the song. I think too many churches have gotten that wrong. And so we start a church of triangles. We start a church of didgeridoos because we want the sound to be the same, but we miss out when we think it's just one dimensional. The church is multidimensional. It's multifaceted. It's rich. It's full. And it's God's plan. It's not the plan. You and me, people, and those who are going to join the journey, join the body and the unique plan of God. I'll finish with this verse, and then we're going to take communion with the context of a story that I'm going to share from the Bible. First John says, everyone who's been born of God has overcome the world. And this is, how the this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Those of us, we overcome because we've been translated into a new kingdom story together. And I don't know about you, but I get it wrong quite often. Um, Maybe you're pretty perfect in all your ways. Maybe you get it all right. I don't. I'm a bit of a screw-up at times, not going to lie. I lose sight of the song. Sometimes I want to be a drum and bash as loud as I can, <laughs> but I'm not in harmony. You know, I do, I do want to be in disagreement sometimes. That's just, it's, just, it's just what happens, man. Like we're, we're, we're walking this road together. But I think something profound about communion as we come together today is really just, I talked about the individualistic thing. I think, again, even in communion, we can make it about me. But I think communion today needs to be about us. And communion is about the fact that God has rescued a people. God has taken a people from slavery and redeemed them into a new story. And that's the story of who we are as God's people. That we reflect his glory to the world. And as we take communion today, it's an act. It's a participation in in, 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 as we take these elements in the story of God. But as we get it wrong sometimes, I'm reminded of the story in Luke 24. And we'll finish with this and take communion. This is the end. It's on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24. There's a couple of the disciples that uh, had left Jerusalem and were walking this road. And they're talking about what Jesus had did. They were like, man, this guy was doing all these things. Like, it's amazing. But they took him and they killed him. And like, now it's all, all that we had hoped for is in shambles. And while they're chatting, Jesus actually shows up and walks beside them and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, what? You didn't know? Where have you been hiding under a rock, man? 
like this prophet that was doing all these things. It's been a big story in the Romans, you know, killed, crossed, dead. Like, where have you been? And Jesus is like, oh, tell me more about this. So these guys start sharing a little bit about what's been happening, not recognizing it was Jesus. They, They tell the story and then Jesus rebukes them a little bit. He says, are you really that slow to believe all the prophets have spoken? Did you miss the point? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus rips into this Old Testament survey. Jesus is with these people and he starts teaching about himself from their scriptures, which is the Old Testament. I want to be in that sermon. I mean, everything I've shared today, you can take with a grain of salt. But one where Jesus is standing with you and preaching, you want to be present at that one. These guys are sitting there hearing Jesus explain the scriptures and they're like, what? This guy's got some great thoughts. So they're like, man, will you come in and eat with us? Stay with us. It's getting late. Let's, let's bunk in here for a bit. And Jesus is like, right on. So he goes in and they sit at the table. They urged him to stay with him. And it says here in Luke 24, 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. 31 says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then Jesus disappeared from their sight. (laughs) He does that a little bit in this uh, little part of the story. (laughs) But here is this beautiful picture of these, these people that were like walking away, just not sure of what it all meant. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And so they have this meal with him and it's in the breaking of the bread that they actually see Jesus again. They got up. It says that then their eyes were open. They recognized him. He disappeared. And then they asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up at once, returned to Jerusalem. They found the rest and said, it's true. The Lord has risen. And the two told what had happened and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Why I love this story in the context of communion is it's just, I don't know if you can identify with these guys, just sort of not quite sure how to make sense of things. I feel a bit like that lately. And you kind of, you're walking along the road, but there was something about coming into this context of communion where they see Jesus again. And in the breaking of the bread, they're reminded again of what it means to be a unique people and what Jesus has done. They were reminded, they were refreshed, they were encouraged. And it was in that moment, guess what they did? They did a 180 and went right back to Jerusalem to be with the people of God, to celebrate the story again. And I think that's why it's so important that we as a community recognize our life together matters. Our life together as a community matters because it's in this place that we express the wisdom of God to the world. And so if you're like me, sort of not quite sure, as we take communion today, my hope and prayer is to say you'll just get a glimpse of Jesus again. And and, and maybe in that transaction there'll be something just stirring and awakening in you to discover what it means to come and, and be a part of the community of people. And so what I'm going to ask you to do right now is just to take out your communion stuff, your little portable communion. Look at that. That's beautiful. Get your cracker and your juice. And we're going to take some time right now just to partake of communion. And communion is our participation in the story of God. It's the story of God redeeming his people out of slavery. 
and establishing them as a new people. For that we give thanks. As we take communion today, in light of what we've talked about, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone, the new has come. You've been delivered, you've been set free, and you've been given a task to go and live the life God's called you to live. And we are to do this together. I want you to take your crack, yeah, your cracker out now. We'll take the bread and we'll, uh, we'll eat together. For those that aren't familiar with communion, as we take the bread together today, what we're doing is just reminding ourselves that in the context of what we've talked about today, that we make up a body. We are just one piece of an entire body, which is the whole, the loaf, the bread. We take a piece. And we're just reminded of the sacrifice that was placed on Jesus on the cross that set us free from power to sin and death, set free from bondage to new life. Today we celebrate as a community new life. Let's eat together. As we take the communion cup, we're just reminded again of the righteousness of Christ, that we have been made right with God. Where you were once in darkness, you, your life was once chaos. You could not see the kingdom. But by the power of God's spirit, you've been awoken to a new life. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, he defeated sin and death so that we can be made alive in him. Let's just drink together as we give thanks. Church, I'm going to invite you to stand right now as we finish our time together. As you've come in from the world, you've come in from outside, you've been traversing the robust realities of life, all the complications that maybe you've faced, the challenges, you've been in the world, you've come here today, you've sat with God's people, you've entered into worship and into the story of God and, you know, there'll be things for you to go and think about as we've shared together today. But now I invite you to stand because in your standing, you're now standing, being ready to go out because Jesus says, as I was sent, I'm sending you. There's a commissioning on God's people to go into the world as the new creations that you've been called to be. So your standing is an act of faith that you're ready to go out into the world as the, as the people of God. So I'll leave you with this encouragement. Romans 15 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, go into the world and be the people that you've been called to be. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Amen. Church said... Amen. Be blessed, church. Have a good week.